You're listening to The Ascent Archive, a podcast of oral histories with rock climbers collected by the University of Utah and produced by the J. Willard Marriott Library. I'm Tali Kasuchi, librarian, rock climber, and oral historian. And I'm Rachel Whitman, and I'm also a librarian. For decades, memory workers, including historians, librarians, and archivists, have conducted oral histories to document life experiences of notable groups of people. These oral history transcripts, and sometimes their accompanying audio and video, are kept in the archives of libraries and museums around the world with varying degrees of access. This podcast, focusing on interviews with rock climbers, is an innovative approach to make oral histories more accessible and easier to listen to on the go or at faster speeds. The Ascent Archive podcast features oral histories that I conducted for the Rock Climbers Oral History Project and others from the American West Center's Ever Al-Kuli Oral History Project. To find out more about these collections, visit the Ascent Archive website, which is included in the show description. You're about to hear an oral history that is unedited. Please excuse possible interruptions, sound quality issues, potentially outdated or offensive terminology, and the occasional curse word. In this episode, you'll hear from Kathy Bellieux. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. They did not do introductions at the beginning of this oral history. But anyways, Kathy was interviewed by Eric Solberg in 2007, and Kathy is an all-around climber and photographer. Hope you enjoy. Okay. Kati, first let me ask you if it's okay to record you today. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Um, so how about we start out just by telling uh, how you got involved with uh, mountain climbing. Okay, most of what I was doing was sport climbing okay. at first. Now I'm doing a little bit of mountain climbing, but I just started when I was, um, for the first time I climbed, I was 12, and I was in a in a summer camp, and they offered climbing, and when I tried it, I knew right away this was what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, I don't know, in the 70s, end of the 70s, so there was no place to go at the time, you know, no okay. clubs, no. Well, where was this? In France, in the south of France. Okay. And so I had to wait until I was uh, going to university, and then I met a few climbers and invited me to go climbing with them, and that's how I started. And okay. When I started climbing, I quit going to university. <laughs> Really? Okay. <laughs> Who are these climbers that you met? They're just students. Okay. Yeah. No, nothing special. They've just been climbing for a long time and they loved it. And we, every change, chance we had, we went climbing. And in the end, all I wanted to do was climb. Hmm. So. Tell me if you could what it was about climbing that you found so interesting and why you wanted to do it. A few things. I don't think I was very good at sport in general, and I didn't really like all the organized sports, but I liked the climbing because it was uh, completely free. There was no rules except, you know, you climb from the bottom to the top without using the gear. Mm-hmm. And you always were in small groups of people. And it was all about, um, how, how would you say? Uh, now I'm confused with all the languages, but it was all—it was a, not a fight, but everything was against yourself. You weren't competing with someone else, and I really liked that. Hmm. And the people who were climbers—they were usually a little bit antisocial, so you would, you know, always go with a small group of people, and you know, hopefully people you get along with, and it was just a different type of community. And I get along with those people. And I didn't like, um, I wasn't interested in leading at first because I was really scared and I didn't like the fear factor in climbing, mm-hmm. but I liked the the movement on the rock. It was like doing gymnastics, hmm. but in a better way because there was meditation involved also because oh, wow. it was just you and the rock. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Um... Now, did you have experience with other sports? You mentioned gymnastics. Yeah, oh, yeah. Did you, I did some gymnastics did a little bit, and I like gymnastics, but I started too late. Uh, I did a lot of, um, what do you call it, athletics. I was a runner for many oh, years. Oh, okay, like track and field. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for many, many years. And I always, I liked training for that, and I, knew, I never liked competitions. Hmm. I have always really hated competitions in all sports, mm-hmm. climbing also. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, 
So what are some of the things you remember from the first time you went climbing? What was that like? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Do you remember what the... It just made me happy. This okay. is the thing. When I when I leave climbing for a while and I go back to it, it doesn't matter, you know, that I'm out of shape and I don't climb well. It's always a feeling when I climb, the way that your body moves, it's so natural that uh, it just makes me feel happy. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like dancing. You go oh, okay. dancing, it makes you feel happy. Um, a lot of people it makes people feel happy. The music makes you feel happy, and for me, climbing is like that. You mentioned this meditation aspect. Would you say it's a religious thing, or is it just being in touch with yourself, or what's that all about? It's more like you have to cut everything else off. Mm-hmm. So you know, people do it by meditating. They clear their thoughts. Sitting on the ground, I can't do that. But when I'm climbing, my mind is very clear. I'm focusing on what I'm doing right then, mm-hmm. and I think it's the only time that I can do that. Mm. So that's why I equate it to meditation. Okay. So do you, do you climb because you not only enjoy the physical aspect, but you also appreciate that mental, the meditation and the, um, that you get something out of it mentally? Yeah, definitely. I think you know by climbing you be, you become stronger. Um, as a person, mm-hmm. and I think everything you learn in climbing, you can take it into your life and use it. Is there anything specifically that you would think of, or just that discipline of it, the mental discipline and the physical strength and ability? Yeah, the fact that you have to, I mean, when you're climbing, when you're leading, a lot of time you get scared, and you can't just get scared and uh, and lose your um, lose your like just freak out and not be functional anymore if you do that you can get hurt mm-hmm. so you can also do that in life I mean in life there's situations where we get scared and we have to keep a cool head and and try to go through that could you tell me about a time when you were climbing when you were scared sure <laughs> many times <laughs> You know, you're always one. You're always asking yourself, "What am I doing here?" It, it's happened to you, no? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> and then you know, well, what am I doing here? I don't know what I am doing, but I need to get out of here <laughs> somehow and safely. So. <laughs> and I continue to go back, and I'm I'm not sure why I continue to go back. I yeah. mean, I enjoy it, but. <laughs> and I I have tried not to put myself in very dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Because I know they scare me too much, mm-hmm. and I don't like that part of climbing. The, what would uh, the part that you know when you're scared? I don't enjoy that. What would an example be when you lead climbing? Yeah, or? when I was leading, I remember one of my first leads. Mm-hmm. I tried this route that was put up by a guy that did a lot of traditional climbing, and you know I I couldn't tell before looking at the route if it was safe or it wasn't safe, and. Mm-hmm. I liked the look of this. It was a crack, and I, but with bolts, because I was in the south of France, so the cracks are bolted. But actually, it was not bolted. It just had pins in the crack, and there was probably some pins missing. Or you were supposed to go with gear, but we didn't know that because we were sport climbers. Mm-hmm. So I went up, and actually, the crux was not protected. And so, you know, when I got to the cracks and I passed the cracks and there was no protection, and I looked up and I still had, you know, I don't know, like four or five meters to go without protection, I was really scared, but I couldn't down climb the cracks. So I didn't have a choice but to keep going. And, you know, my belayer was even more scared than I was. (laughs) (laughs) And so you just keep going. And when I got to the next um, pin, I just clipped in and I just sat back and asked them to lower me because I'd given all I had and even though it was really easy to finish the route I just couldn't do it so you know and then then you're like okay well I'm not going to lead for a while (laughs) you lead (laughs) (laughs) so it is scary Mm -hmm. sometimes even sport climbing and traditional climbing is even more scary you know although if you're really good and the protection is good you can protect more often maybe than with sport climbing mm-hmm. well you know that when you fall sport climbing usually you don't get hurt so it's all different hmm. now you grew up in what part of france um, near Cannes in okay. the south southeast mm-hmm. near the verdun and bukes and all these places okay where were the climbing areas that you 
first went to or the ones that you wanted to go to as you got better? Well, the first one I climbed at with my friends from university is this place called La Turbie. It's above Monaco. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful, but uh, old style climbing. And then I went to the Verdun and Bukes, and those were, at the time, in the late 80s, they were some of the most famous climbing areas, and they are amazing. Mm -hmm. So It was really interesting, because when you went to places like that in the 80s, you would always run into the same bunch of climbers, into really? the same group of climbers, yes. And there was very few climbers, hmm. so we all knew each other. Mm -hmm. It was really neat. That seems to be really similar in the United States, actually, yeah. and that was probably even a little earlier I've heard uh -huh. that, and it seemed to change pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, now, when did you first start to climb in the United States? In 86, at the end of 86. Okay. Right after I started climbing, I moved to the States. Oh, I did? met an American climber, uh -huh. and we fell in love, and I moved to the States. So, And then I traveled with him, and he, he was a very good climbers, a very good climber, and I just traveled with him, and we climbed in all the places that were, you know, in at the time. What was his name? Scott Franklin. Okay. And we we went to New York, upstate New York first, uh, in the Gunks, mm. and then we moved to Oregon to Bend, mm -hmm. where we lived for a while. And it was the same people, the same people we met in Europe, the good climbers. Really? We would see them at Smith Rocks. Yeah, it was really cool. How did you find out about these places? Did you read books or just? I think just in the community, yeah. Okay. Everybody knew. Okay, we want to go to this place. Just like now, all the sport climbers want to go to Kalimnos. Mm -hmm. They wanted to go to Thailand a few years ago. Now it's moved to Greece. You know, mm. there's, there's places that are places to be. You know. Yeah. And it changes because the rock gets polished. You know, the style of climbing changes too. It's very different. Now people climb more, much steeper routes. Mm -hmm. in, in the 90s, in the 80s, it was mostly vertical, you know, more technical, and now it's, it seems to be more athletic. Mm. We still, of course, the level has gone up, so you need, you know, more technique also. But it, it's really changed. Do you think that it's uh, training or equipment or a combination of the two, or what do you that think That it's is, gone up, that yeah, the level has gone up? I think everything. Because it was such a new sport in the 80s. Nobody knew how to train. I mean, it was all experimental. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know Del Goddard? Yeah. He wrote, Del Goddard and uh, Udo Neumann, a German guy, they wrote one of the first books about training in climbing. And, you know, Wolfgang Gulick also had right. his theory. And, but it was all new. And, I mean, people would climb every day. And then, you know, after two, three months of climbing every day, they had tendinitis. They didn't know why. And then they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I think we need to climb only two days in a row and rest one day. And so that was like, okay, everybody climbed two days in a row and rested one day. Or, you know, three days and rested two days. It depends. But, you know, you always took a few rest days a week. Right. But that was, you know, after experimenting. So. What about you? What did you do or how did you build your training and... I never trained, I just climbed. But I always climbed, you know, usually two days on, one day off, or three days on, one day off. It depends on what I did. If I climbed hard, it was two days on, one day off. <laughs> so. And when I started, it didn't matter because I didn't climb that much, you know. But when I just climbed, this is what we did usually. But we didn't train. But in the 80s and early 90s, really, the people I climbed with, we never trained. We didn't stretch. We didn't do anything. Hmm. Were there uh, people that you admired in climbing? Were there people sure. that you aspired to be? And maybe who were they and why? Well, I admired the people that were good climbers, good people, honest. You know, it wasn't just about the climbing. It was the person themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I met in France one of my favorite French climbers. He's um, Patrick, Patrick Béraud from the south of France. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an alpinist. He died a few years ago in the, in the Alps, I think. And, uh, you know, Wolfgang Gulick, of course. But in the States, Scott Franklin, Del Goddard, 
I mean, there's a lot of good climbers in the States also, but at the time, these were the people I was, you know, climbing with, and I appreciated them as people, and they were good climbers, but they didn't, they were not uh, such good climbers that they, they were s completely self-centered. You know, mm. this is a problem with, I think, a lot of climbers. Mm -hmm. They are very self-centered. And I think it's the same in any sport at a really high level. But it's it's um, one side effect of hmm. being very good at something that I don't appreciate. Mm -hmm. Did you notice a difference between climbers and the way climbers uh, dressed or acted between sure. Europe and the States? Uh, at the time, yeah, sure. In Europe, you know, we were wearing uh, we were wearing painter's pants at the time in the 80s, <laughs> white painter's pants, mm -hmm. and in the States they were wearing lycra, mm. a sport climber. <laughs> But now, now everybody dresses the same, I okay. think. Yeah. How about the behavior, or maybe the, even the, the type of climbing that was going on? Was sport climbing more popular in Europe? In Europe, much really? more popular in Europe. In the States, it was more still a lot of traditional climbing, and they were just getting into sport climbing, and uh, it was actually um, raising a lot of animosity between groups of climbers, you know, mm. the people that believed that putting bolt was bad, bolts was bad, and that you were uh, a sissy if you climbed on bolts, and you were, you know, this really strong <laughs> man. Really, I mean, you must have heard of this stuff oh, that yes. went on in Yosemite mm -hmm. and right, at Smith Rock, you know. Yeah. Same, Alan Watts, he was, sitting, he was putting up these sports routes um, that were so run out just to prove, you know, that to the traditional climber that you had to be bold to do sport routes also. And they were, like, impossible to lead because, I mean, unless you were... You know, an extremely good climber and right. well above the level of the route and all that, you know, otherwise you would just be too scared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, there was, um, it was, and in France, you know, you could do whatever you wanted. At that time, they were already drilling pockets in routes. Oh, really? Yeah, in the late, late, uh, late 80s, yeah, before, the, before 1990s. In the Verdun, I'd done a few routes that had been drilled. And they were beautiful routes. Mm -hmm. But this, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. I'm just telling you the difference in, um, how would you call it? In what was accepted in Europe and here. Hmm. And the style of climbing was very different too. When American climbers came to France, you know, they would always say that the French people had really good technique mm -hmm. because we always climbed on, the routes we climbed on were not so steep, even though they may have been overhanging, but we, the people climbed them with a lot of technique because maybe they lacked strength and also because here the Americans climbed a lot of cracks mm -hmm. and crack climbing, like it seemed like people were using a lot of strength because they weren't using so much technique. Okay. Does it make any sense? Yeah. And now it's changed, of course, you know, and like everybody's same, everybody uses a similar technique, and, hmm. but at the time people were not traveling so much, so it took a, a long time before the techniques get mixed. And usually when we saw American climbers, they were all strong and bulky, and the French climbers, they look like marathon runners. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea of the differences. Yeah. And now it's getting more like that. The climbers are thin, strong, but thin, like most everybody. Mm -hmm. Although it's less than in the, in the 90s. Now it's more like climbing has become more of a sport. So people train, so they are more muscular also, but at the same time, they do the technique. Mm -hmm. So it's a mix of both now. And that's maybe why they've improved so much also. Hmm. I don't um, know if I'm making any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, would you call climbing a sport? Because I mean, you said Sure, you it's didn't... a sport. Okay. Tiff! <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to say to that? No, I think it's a sport. I think it's a... I mean, you do exercise your body, so you can call it a sport. Mm -hmm. It's not just your body, it's mental, but I think any sport is mental. So, yeah, I'd call it a sport. Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious because you said it's like a lot of people do, like I do, you know, you distinguish again against traditional sports like baseball. It's not a traditional sport, but it's right. a sport. Okay. But with the gyms, I think it's become a traditional sport also. Hmm. I mean, you see, I mean, before you had to have a passion to be a climber. You had the passion for climbing and you became a climber, mm -hmm. yeah? 
after you started, of course, you had to right. try it. But now it's just a sport. It's a way to get strong. It's a way to you know, do some physical activity. And it wasn't like that before. Hmm. And this is a big difference. And it, I think it, changes, it changed with the climbing gyms. Because now it's available to anybody. And, you know, I mean, when climbers, when we start, and I'm sure a lot of people have told you that, it was a commitment. You completely committed to climbing. You had no time to do any other sport. You pretty much had no time to do anything else in your life. There was no gyms to train. You mm -hmm. had to go to the cliff. It would take you a whole day, you know, to get to do three or four climbs. You had to drive there and all that. And now, you know, people, they get off work, they go to the gym, and they train. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different attitude. How do you feel about that? I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's, I did like the days when there was less people at the cliff, for sure. Mm -hmm. And it was more people that were passionate. Because I think it's a sport that you should do with passion. And, um, you know, for example, like some of the young people don't understand that when we decided to be climbers, like I said, all we did was for climbing. But we worked to be able to go climbing. So we didn't want a steady job. We could never hold a steady job. Mm -hmm. We would work. Enough, when we had enough money to go climbing, we would just move and go climbing for as long as the money lasted. Hmm. And we stayed in tents, and we didn't eat sometimes. Wow. Yeah, but we wanted to climb. And mm -hmm. that, that was all that mattered at the time. And there was quite a few people doing that. Did that seem like it was more prominent in the United States, or was that more of a European thing, or was it? Both? I think I did, I did that in the States. Okay. In, when I went to Europe too, there was a lot of people doing that, especially like Spanish people. You know, they would come to France and just do the same. They had work, and now they weren't going to stay in France and climb until they didn't have any more money, and mm -hmm. then go back and find another job. And everybody was really poor. Mm -hmm. The climbers, they were so poor. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And it's fine, you know, I mean, more power to the people if they can uh, have a good job or if they come into climbing with money. But before, it was more the people that um, were a little bit out of so normal society that were climbers. And these people usually came f uh, from... Uh, backgrounds where their families didn't have a lot of money. It mm. seemed like it was pretty normal, you really? know, that, yeah, the people in climbing were people from lower class. Huh. But this is what I, what I found, like the people I hung out with. Maybe it wasn't accepted, you know, it was such a weird thing to climb at the time that uh, in more, more upper class it wasn't accepted to do that. How did uh, people seem to relate to you, people that were outside of climbing? Did they just not get it, or just how did they react? You know, I, react? for a really long time, I didn't really talk to a lot of people outside of the climbing community. Mm. We were living in total autarcy, like just our okay. group. Yeah. And uh, I, if I had to go to the doctor, I would find out the climber that was a doctor, you know. But everybody I talked to was in the climbing community, except for my family, pretty much. Mm. And, you know, my family, they just gave up on me. Really? <laughs> a long time. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. they, they're like, okay, she's doing this, and she's a little bit crazy, but she's fine, you know, she hasn't killed herself yet, and <laughs> she seems to be fine and survive, so. <laughs> it seems like uh, leaving university was a significant step. How yeah. did uh, your family or other people react to your yeah. decision to do that? Like, I was crazy. Really? to go climbing, everybody was like, but you're crazy, how are you going to make a living? And, you know, from that day on, it was hard, but I made living out of climbing. So, but at the time, of course, it was, nobody made, very few people made a living from climbing, so it seemed crazy to, to try. Mm -hmm. But it worked. I think if you have a passion and you follow it, it will work. So. Now, you say making a living through climbing, are you, um, how did you do that besides working these odd jobs? Do you actually get um, sponsorships or get later on? Yeah. Okay. But I didn't get. I uh, know I didn't get sponsorship like that. I always worked for uh, in the climbing industry, whether I was mm. manufacturing or working in an office or 
Metolius Entreprise, Black Diamond. I worked at Titan Mountaineering here. I guided for a few for a guiding business that doesn't exist anymore in Salt Lake. I helped a bunch of guides in their clinics. I, I did my own um, climbing clinics with a hmm. bunch of women friends. Really? Four women in Salt Lake, yeah. Then I opened my climbing school, and throughout all this, I was uh, taking pictures. Mm. And it was, there were always climbing pictures or outdoors pictures. So I sold my pictures. And at one point, I was, uh, I've always had gear pretty much given to me, but I didn't have a salary from any company because I wasn't good enough, you know? Okay. And um, I also, when I was doing, when I did a few competitions, there was, uh, you know, like if you did one, first, second, or third, they would, the company would give you cash. Or if your picture was published, then they would give you cash. So mm -hmm. you could get a little bit of cash too from the companies. Yeah. Okay. What sorts of changes did you see in gear and selling gear if you're working in retail mm -hmm. along the way? Uh, well, in the 80s, the climbers, since they didn't have money, I think the climbing gear didn't sell that much. And mm -hmm. it was only later on, like in the 90s, when the, when the sport grew mm -hmm. a lot, mm -hmm. then they started selling gear. But I know my group of friends, we had one rope for four people, you know, a set of ten quilters for four. Mm -hmm. We couldn't afford to buy gear. And uh, now I think it's like everybody has their own gear and they change. We didn't change ropes every year or two years. Okay. No. We waited until you could see the core. Wow, and then... you were climbing a lot too. I mean, that's... <laughs> Yeah, well, that was like, you know, before I even moved to the States. When I moved to the States, I was with Scott and he was sponsored. So it wasn't too much of an issue. The gear wasn't an issue anymore. But I would still see people at the cliff climbing with ropes. I would not touch. <laughs> you crazy. <laughs> yeah. I don't, um, I don't know if the gear itself has changed so much. It's become more comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, the harnesses are more comfortable, but the strengths of them haven't changed that much. You know, the safety doesn't seem to have changed that much. How about the way people talked about safety? Did that change? Yeah, because now, you know, it's a sport, like a sport that's available to everybody. So people don't realize how dangerous climbing actually is. And I think it's like the opposite of maybe the question you're asking me. It's, it's maybe safer now, except that the people who are doing it are not as safe mm -hmm. because they take it for granted that it's safe. Okay. Because it's become more of a, a sport that everybody does. Where before we were very conscious that it wasn't very safe. I mean, it's safe to a point, mm -hmm. but the safety depends on, on the user. If right. the user doesn't know what he's doing, the gear may be the safest. It doesn't matter. You can still get killed. And we knew that, and we were very careful. And now I think the people are not so aware of that anymore. And I see it all the time. I mean, I, I don't climb that much anymore, but the last few years I climbed. Mm -hmm. Every time I went to the cliff, I was scared seeing really? what people did, yeah. Were there specific things or just? Yeah, just not burning properly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't like it when somebody is smoking a cigarette, you know, holding the rope for me, having a a bunch of slack on the ground, having a conversation with someone else at the same time, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not, it doesn't work for yeah. me, okay, but people do it. Mm -hmm. And the climbers don't even seem to care. Mm. And you must, if you go climbing at American Fork, you must see it. Oh, I do. I and on the weekend, it, yeah. those people that climb at the gym, they go to division wall and they're like, what are they doing? Let's move because I don't want to see these people decking, you know. Right, or ice climbing. I do a fair amount of ice mm -hmm. climbing. You'll see people yeah. just lined up at the wall, and you'll have to <coughs> wait to take your turn. There's really? ice falling down oh on you, ropes getting thing. thrown over with no regard. Yeah, see, like below. 10 years ago, if yeah. you went ice climbing, there was no chance that you would meet anybody else. Right, you'd meet Jim Miller from Black Diamond. Yeah, Island, you'd yeah. meet Alex Lowe and uh, Seth Shaw. Is that his name? Seth Shaw? I think it's yeah. Shaw is his last name. Mm -hmm. And Doug Heinrich and uh, Chris Noble and Mark Dwight and you know myself and Nancy Fagan and that was it. Yeah. it. 
but we would never be all at the same place. Mm -hmm. So. You mentioned the <clears throat> increasing number of people being in the mountains. Um, I'm curious about um, you know, the environmental aspects of climbing and how people treat the environment. I mean, it sounds like that's a concern, the number of people yeah. out there. But how have you seen that change, climbers and their attitude toward the environment? Well, when there was not so many of us, it wasn't such a problem. And um, I think we were all very conscious, we, you know, like to not leave stuff. But people have had a lot of problems with uh, what effects has the uh, chalk on the rock or that, you know, visually it's not pretty to see white or there's balls, you know, and it doesn't look good. I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe it's because I'm climbing. I don't think people can see balls if they don't know. Mm -hmm. Like if they don't know, they are, if they are not looking for them, most people wouldn't even notice them on the rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the chalk you can see. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I think now it's the number of people that go to the cliffs that's more of a problem. Mm -hmm. So the roots get destroyed faster and and it may be more dirty. You know, I see a lot of cigarette butts and that bothers me. I mean, people can take their cigarettes back to their garbage. <laughs> that's what I'm concerned. <laughs> Do you notice a difference between areas of the country or areas, you know, in the United States or abroad in terms of uh, pollution or mm. trash on the ground or anything? No. I have to say, usually, I mean, from what I remember, it was pretty clean. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think climbers are very high impact on the environment. I mean, snowmobilers are more of a problem. People that have snowmobiles and you know, sports cars, and I mean, that has a bigger impact on the environment than climbers, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, I'd like to hear about um, the, maybe if there is, just how um, it was to be a woman climbing in France and other areas, and then how it was to be a woman climbing in the United States. Was that common in places you've climbed, or how, how did people, react to you or did you ever encounter any, well, what was it like really? Well, earlier on, it was not common. There was not very women climbing. More, there was more women climbing in France than in the U.S. Hmm. because there was more sport climbing in the U.S. Okay. So, you know, women in general, women don't really like to be scared too much. It seems that they have a, a lesser tolerance to fear hmm. than men. And maybe it's because we have a higher survival instinct. <laughs> I don't know. Smarter. Well, I, I don't like, like I said, I don't like being scared. <clears throat> I'm scared more easily than most of my guy friends. And so traditional climbing there, you know, it's more dangerous. So maybe that's why there was less women. Uh, it was nice. You know, I mean, a, a lot of time people just assume because you were a woman, woman that, uh, you couldn't climb or you couldn't lead or if they saw you, I've had instances when, you know, you go to a route and there's a bunch of guys at the bottom and they're like, oh, I'll do that. This woman can do it. And then you have to go like get their gear off the route because they couldn't do it. And <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen so much now, but I think before it was common because just because they weren't used to seeing women, uh -huh. it was kind of fun. You know, I like going to see guys. <laughs> What sorts of feelings did you have when you would do that? You know, let's say you climb something that a guy just didn't want to or couldn't do. No, I don't have, I, it doesn't, to me it's nothing, it's but nothing. It's, to them it's a something, so it makes okay. me laugh. Yeah. Did they, you know, did they actually express that to you? Did they say how they felt about it afterwards? Oh, no, then they just think you're a goddess, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are usually not upset, you know, they're just surprised. Mm -hmm. And... It's silly because in climbing, you know, like in climbing, you could see, I mean, your body, your, if, whether you're fat or no, not overly fat, but if you're not fit, if you're a woman, if you're short, it doesn't make you a bad climber. There's just so much more to just physical, hmm. um, physical strengths, let's mm -hmm. say, to being a, a climber than that. You know, most of it is in your head, so, and in technique. How did you learn the technique? Was that something that was uh, 
you learn just by doing it, or did you actually take? Um, were there classes? There was no classes or, at the time. <laughs> and clubs? Or did you ever no. participate in any clubs? No. Huh. No, I no. Okay. We just. Um, well, I think you know, it's like any. Some people are more apt to using the right technique. It's more natural to them than others. And I was lucky. I think it was pretty natural to me. And in addition to that, I climbed with uh, people that climbed well. I started mm -hmm. climbing with a very good climber right away. Mm -hmm. So I learned from them. I, le I also, more than anything, I learned that, uh, you know, for example, when I started climbing in France, the friends I was climbing with, they were under the impression or, you know, they believed that 510A was really hard because at the time, very few people climbed harder than 510. Right. And so for them, 510 was like, oh, you're not going to climb 510, let's do some 59. So we never really tried because we thought it was so difficult. Hmm. And then when I met these good American climbers, they were like, 510 is not hard. Like, let's try some 5. You're going to do some 511s today. And so, you know, the next day you're doing 511s. And then, you know, it's this whole block that's gone from your mind. Mm -hmm. And that shows that it's all in your head, you know. Okay. And that helped me a lot to realize that, you know, well, the grades, first of all, don't mean anything because it depends on the on the style of the climbing and your you know what you're good at mm -hmm. and uh, you know like to not listen to somebody because you know five this thing is five ten is hard that is hard it's not hard okay yeah did you notice a difference in the ratings um, in certain areas yeah yeah sure. yeah. I don't think it matters as long as in one area it's pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. But in, you know, it's always like that. Yeah, you always say, well, this is like a five five eleven at this area, but it would be more like a five ten at this one. This right, it's like a black diamond ski run at yeah, it's Jackson different. Hole. It's just two different things. Smoking. It should be the same, but <clears throat> since it depends on the people who set the routes up, they give the grade, and you know, like something that's easy for me may be difficult for somebody else, so they're gonna have a a different idea, sure. but when once you've climbed a lot and you've done a lot of routes at one level, you're you're able to say, okay, this is this. And if you're, I think if you're a good uh, a good um, opener, how do you say like when you open route, when you put up routes? Anyway. Oh, first ascent. Yeah, when <clears throat> when you're good at doing first ascents, you should be able to realize, you know, oh well, I'm really good at this type of climbing, so. I think, you know, I would grade it, let's say, 510D, but because I'm really good at this style, maybe it's probably more like a 511A to most people, and grade it like that. Okay. This is how it should be. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, people like to downgrade because it makes them, it's better for their ego, you know, which is silly, but this is how it works. But yeah, it differs from, uh, from area to area. Mm -hmm. And also that could be that, you know, we are used to, to climbing in one area, we go to a different area. It takes us like five days to get used to the climbing. Does it make any sense? Yeah. Oh, and then you start definitely. finding the routes easier. So, what would you say that um, a favorite route or a favorite area to climb is? In the states or in the world or where? <laughs> well, you can answer. Yeah, whatever. Uh, maybe the the best one for you or just favorite and. Well, I really like climbing in Thailand, I have to say. <laughs> What's that like? Tell me about that. It's limestone climbing. It's, okay. <clears throat> it's um, a little bit steep, we can say. It's got stalactites. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I like climbing on limestone because the shapes of the holes is very varied. Mm. And uh, it's not like granite where you have sections with no holes and since I'm short and not very strong it's very important for me to have a lot of intermediate holes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's really pretty climbing. But one area in the States that I really, really always have wanted to go back to is uh, the Red River Gorge. Mm. And it's it's a little bit it's the same type of climbing. It's not limestone, it's sandstone, but it's very featured, steep, and really incredible climbing. Remind me where that is. I can't remember. It's in Alabama, in Boone's oh. uh, Boone's oh. National Park. Okay. Yeah. How would you even find <clears throat> something about that? You just oh no, it was no like when I went there, it was oh. about ten years ago or a little uh -huh. bit more, more, and it was uh, the place you know, everybody knew about this place. Oh. Yeah. 
but it's probably out of fashion now. <laughs> I don't know what's in fashion nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I'm laughs> red rocks, too. You've heard of red rocks. <clears throat> love oh, yes. climbing on mm -hmm. red rocks. Okay. Same rock, same type of rock. Mm -hmm. Kind of overhanging, but with good holes and really good friction. Yeah, that actually is. That's a really popular area now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's And it's so close to Las Vegas, too. Yeah. That people like to yeah. go to Vegas and they can yeah. do a cheap hotel. Oh, it's wonderful. Cheap food. Have you been? Yes. Yeah. We used to go when I was living in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. Every chance we got, we would go down there. Right, it wasn't as far as Death Valley. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. Joshua Tree. Yeah, so. no. I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's allowed. Um, tell me about a memorable climb. It can be good or bad, just one that was memorable. Well, you know, there's so many different reasons why you remember a climb. You know, I like my most memorable day climbing was in the Verdun, because I just went back to the Verdun for like a day. I drove from my house, it's two hours drive, and then I, I looked for a climbing partner, got one in the Verdun, and there was like two things I wanted to do. One route I, I, I wanted to try and, you know, maybe try and do that day, mm -hmm. and one route that I heard was really good, I wanted to go down on it on top rope and work it so that I would already know the move for when I came back the next year. Mm -hmm. And I went there and I did the two routes when I went, yeah. So you know, that was like a good day climbing, okay, I'm going home, <laughs> I'm going back to the States. <laughs> so yeah, I'll never forget that day. Huh. It was very fulfilling, really, really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, like there's days in the mountains too. I just, uh, the last time I went in the mountains, um, yeah, I live in Bolivia now. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I do mountain climbing now over there. And mm. uh, there was a route that I'd been wanted to do for the last 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I tried it a few times. And every time there was a problem. One time one person was sick, so we had to come down because it's at very high altitude. Or not very high, but high enough. Right. That people get altitude sickness. And the second time, bad weather, we get hit by a lightning storm as we were getting on the final, the summit of Lorette. So we came down. Mm -hmm. And then finally this time, I had a group of Venezuelan climbers who wanted me to organize their trip for them down there. So I said, okay, I'll organize your trip. And they're like, yeah, but you have to come with us. We want you to be with us. I said, okay, but then you have to do the, the climbs I want to do. <laughs> and they're like, whatever, you organize it. You know, you know what's good. So I said, okay, well, we go do this climb. <laughs> so we went. And it was just incredible, beautiful weather. But you know when, uh, when a route has denied you a few times, mm -hmm. it scares you, it mm -hmm. always scares oh, you, because yeah. you're like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be there, you know, you start making you know, making up some reasons why you shouldn't go, because it's it's a bit scary. And so we went up, and it was beautiful, and the whole way I was like, wow, you know, it's actually not a hard climb, it's beautiful, really, really nice, and we got to the top, you know, the arete and everything, an amazing arete. And uh, when the weather started changing, when we were on top of the of the peak, and uh, we got down to the same place where we got uh, hit by the storm before, and the lightning just hit like right. The climb has a summit and then two summits on the side. Okay. And the lightning hit the lower summit on the side of us. And then you know it was like, just get down, you know. Yeah. And it, this was really scary. But that was the most beautiful climb I've done. The scariest, you know, because I we didn't know if we were gonna survive or not. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a really hard route, but the weather, you know, you, you there's nothing you can do against lightnings if you're on top of a mountain. <laughs> so yeah, that was really scary, and that that will I think be one of my you know like most memorable mountain experience. I, could see I that. hope I won't get anything more scary. No, I hope not either. <laughs> So. Now, what um, were you doing for work? Are you a, a guide no, there? I'm and... a translator. Oh, okay. But I go on mountains with the people. Mm. So, so if I have clients that need a translator, mm -hmm. I, I'm the only um, translator that work for that company that's also a climber. So, mm. so they always send me on mountains. Okay. Okay. You know, I, I not much, but I did a, 
three mountains over 6,000 meters, over 18,000 feet in like a week and a half when wow. I was there. No, that's yeah, almost clients. <laughs> but they are not hard mountains, but still, you know, you're at altitude all sure. the time and it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like it. It's just different than sport climbing. Mm-hmm. But I can't sport climb anymore because I have injuries. Oh, you know, that's okay. another thing that oh, climbers really? those live. That you, you have them through climbing or through. Yeah, well, they are okay. climbing injuries. Yeah. And, you know, I really can't sport climb anymore. So. Okay. Yeah. Do you have, Uh-oh. I mean, would sport climbing be your favorite or is there a kind that you prefer <laughs> over others? Yes. Please continue. It's about four No, I, I'm like, it's up to you. No, continue if you want to. No, but I don't know. It's, it seems kind of, uh, no, kind of, I don't know. I don't have much to say except that, you know, climbers do get injured. Right. <laughs> it seems. But I think any sport that you do a lot, or, you know, that at a, at a certain level, you will always get injuries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, unless you have questions. Yeah, I mean, why do you continue to climb? I now? guess we get in with that, yeah. Oh, well, because uh, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> you know, even when I was, uh, I had a climbing school in Thailand, and uh, I could not climb, really, for myself. I was already done. I mean, I could not because of the injuries that I got because I guided too much. Mm-hmm. But I had to keep on guiding because that was how I was making my living. So, I mean, I think a lot of people just... A lot of uh, professional athletes, even when they shouldn't do it anymore, they have to keep doing it because what do you, what do you do after? You know, some people like us don't want to go and work in an office all day. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't fit our profile. Right. And uh, you know, so I changed. So I'm a trekking guy, but I'm still outside, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, still traveling, still in a tent. Still outside, I'm like messing up my knees instead of my shoulders and my elbows, you know, but yeah. And same with mountaineering. I can't ice climb, or very little, you know, I could do, you know, maybe a little bit of ice climbing, but Mm -hmm. I can't really do that too much. But I can still walk, so I can do mountaineering. So we just kind of move to something that's that I can still do, and then I don't know what sure. to do after, when I can't alpine climb anymore. I don't know. <laughs> you gotta find a rich husband, <laughs> and I'll stay home. <laughs> not amongst the climbers. <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. It's like a vow of poverty. <laughs> right. Exactly. Salt Lake City on the 39th and 21st. I was organizing a women's clinic at Red Rocks, I think that one was, with Amy Irvine. Mm. You know Amy Irvine? Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, Virginia Savage. Okay. You know her also? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the three of us had decided to work together and just do women's clinics. So... I, we had advertised for one, and um, Anne just walked up into the store. You know, she's very, she's a strong woman. Right. She, she comes in and she's like, I want to meet uh, Cathy. And so it's like, okay, she's over there. She comes and talks to me, and she said, we want to sign, she was with a friend. We want to sign up for your clinic. Okay. You know, usually you have to talk people into it. Because <laughs> she knew what she wanted. Now, did she look you up beforehand? Did she know she, who she you were? She found the flyer. Oh, oh okay. I don't know. Maybe she had heard my she name because she knew about... she knew some of the climbers, you mm-hmm. know, already. So, and so that's it. She came to yeah, she came to the clinics, and we really got along super well. We drove down together, and then since mm-hmm. then we've been friends. And it's, that was in a. 91 or 92, I think, mm. 92. Yeah. Where did that course go? Where did you climb? We went to Red Rocks. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Three days at Red Rocks. Mm-hmm. A group of women. It was nice. Yeah. Yoga on the flat rocks in the morning and then climbing and camping. It was really fun. Right. Yeah. And Anne loved it. She had a hip problem. Mm. And that's she told me. She said, well, I have a hip problem. What do you think? And I said, well, you know, just have to use a different technique. And hopefully, you know, if it doesn't hurt you too much, you know, you can always try and we'll see. And she was like, okay. So, and she was fine. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
Yeah, and we've stayed friends. I don't. She hasn't climbed much, but she she was talented. She had good technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she seems like she's very strong. She's now. very strong. Mm-hmm. She's a very strong woman. But on top of being strong, she also moved well. Which okay. is usually, this is uh, one thing, you know, when I have, um, when I teach climbing, a lot of people, especially women, they come to me and they're like, well, you know, I don't think I can do it. Or they come with their boyfriend to sign up and the boyfriend wants to do it and the woman is like looking somewhere else. So is, she's is like, that she's common? She's totally Did not, uh, she doesn't feel involved at all in the thing. And I'm like, hey, what about you? So are you going to sign up too? And she's like, oh, no, no, I don't do sports. I'm not strong. I have no arm strength. So I'm like, well, that's great then. You're going to be a great climber because... You know, the last thing you want is to use strength, when you, especially when you start climbing. People progress much faster when they start with no strength hmm. because they learn the technique right away. Mm-hmm. People come and they, they've been working out in the gym and all they want to do is pull themselves up the rock. And that doesn't make you a good climber. I mean, you may be able to do the route, but you've done it in full style. And style is very important, I think, in climbing. You know, and, and then people get to a certain level and they, you know, get pumped because all they've been using is their arms. So, you know, I think women have an advantage in a way hmm. in climbing. I've heard that actually. Yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, someone like Lynn Hill or other... Well, she's, she's a really, mutant. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Lynn. Yeah, she was my hero. Really? Yeah, well, she still is, but... Mm-hmm. Is yeah. she still climbing? We were wondering about that today with some of my friends, actually. Uh, I'm sure she's still climbing really well. I don't know if she's climbing a lot or if she's doing something else. I just haven't heard because I'm not in touch anymore with what's going on hmm. in climbing. You know, I, I'm like so far away. We don't get any news in Bolivia. We get no magazines, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed in this interview are solely those of the oral history participants and do not reflect any views, opinions, or official policy at the University of Utah or the J. Willard Marriott Library. For more information about this podcast, check out the ascentarchive.lib.utah.edu. That's A-S-C-E-N-T-A-R-C-H-I-V-E dot L-I-B utah.edu. The Ascent Archive podcast team includes librarians Tally Casucci and myself, Rachel Whitman. Special thanks to Leah Donaldson for graphic and website design, Brian Elias Hole for music, and thanks to the University of Utah Special Collections and the American West Center. And lastly, the rock climbing community for participating in these interviews and listening. Mm-hmm.